Seth Spins contains mild adult language. The views of the members of this podcast do not reflect the views of Viking Fusion or Viking Fusion staff. Viewer discretion is advised. All right, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to season four, episode four of Seth Spins. This is actually the finale for the entire series. I'm graduating in like nine or ten days, which is very exciting. I wanted to go ahead and give a quick thank you to everybody that's been listening. I've really appreciated all the time and effort that's gone into this podcast from everybody that's come in as a guest, everybody that has contributed topics, everybody that has edited the podcast. Special shout out to Mike Myers and Annabelle Norton because they've put in just hours and hours and hours of time listening to my voice and trying to deal with editing these podcasts. So really appreciate them. Wanted to give them a quick shout out. But um, thank you guys so much for listening. And I've really appreciated all the time that's been put into this. And I think it's been sort of a great creative outlet and a wonderful experience all around. So thank you guys very, very much. But for today's podcast, I have a very special guest. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Just maybe like name and major. Yeah. My name is Maddie Rowe. I'm a comm major with uh, a concentration in PR and a religion minor. So yeah, excited to be here. Yeah. Um, And then Maddie came to me and wanted to talk about a couple specific topics. So I'll just go ahead and list those, you know, down the row and then we'll sort of get into it. You ready to go? Yeah. So for today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about a sort of unnamed genre, but I think we all kind of understand it as sort of a singer-songwriter, guitar balladry, usually deals with relationships. So the big names would be like Taylor Swift is sort of the big, big name in this industry. Olivia Rodrigo is this very big budding name in this industry. And a lot of these, again, are guitar-driven. They have really unique songwriting abilities, usually talks about relationships, and there's often really excellent bridges in these songs, which we'll definitely get into. And then for the next topic, we're going to be talking about sort of like folk rock just in general. So there's a bunch of specific artists that we're going to go into, this being like the Lumineers, Mumford & Sons, Hozier, just artists that sort of occupy that same general niche, whether it be like a band or whether it be a specific artist. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about Christian music, which I've always wanted to do because it's you have to find specific people that understand that genre because it's not... (laughs) It's not huge in the music industry, but I think it has its own special niche that's very, very popular. So right, I wanted right. to get that um, that perspective. Um, I think it'd be really, really fun and interesting. So we'll get into that for sure. And I just have a couple other extra questions if we have any other ideas. Yeah. But, um, you ready to go? Yeah. All right. So for the first thing, I wanted to just go ahead and introduce the idea. So throughout 2021, certain genres are making some returns in popular culture, maybe ones that have been popular before or ones that people are just looking back to. So one genre of music which is inhabited by songwriters such as Taylor Swift and Casey Musgraves is characterized by heartbreaking relationships, personable lyrics, and guitar-driven balladry. I think Taylor Swift is the biggest name. Do you think her re-released discography has caused a surge in popularity within the genre? Yes. So her last couple albums, Evermore and Folklore, those, I'm pretty sure, are actually stories that aren't about her. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, so they're based, uh, I know some of them are based on Greg Gatsby. So I think that's kind of like her last couple albums are kind of interesting in that way that it's not mm-hmm. about her heartbreak necessarily. Yeah. But you can also see like from debut all the way up to Lover, which is that one that mm-hmm. was encompassed in Universal Records, yeah. um, was yeah. the one that she was with. You kind of see her genre change a little bit. Yes. She she is such an interesting artist for genre changing because I think she's... She might be the only artist I know of who completely transitioned from country to pop mm-hmm. and became out stronger because of it. Or at least, if not stronger, at least came out just as strong in the music industry. Because I know a lot of people, like myself, I mean, I love the country stuff just as much. Right. 
But it's really interesting to see that shift because even if you look from like album to album, like considering Red to 1989, that's one album. Mm-hmm. And that is a completely different genre, in my opinion. Like that is that is totally separate. You have all too well going into like wildest dreams. Right. Those are those almost feel like different artists. Right. But it, it is really interesting. That and um, Reputation came out right um, after 1989. Yeah, sure? it came yes. out a couple of years after. Um, that. And that one is, I feel like it's like the estranged uncle of her, like mm-hmm. of her albums. Absolutely. It feels very alternative to me. It is. Because um, yeah. she's gone from country to pop to alternative to Mm -hmm. this very like folky genre when she moved from lover to folklore and evermore Mm -hmm. and then she re-recorded her albums and even you can even see with red it's kind of got this more like folky absolutely um, no i can undertone to it definitely tell because i've listened because i've started listening to her albums a lot more ever since the re-releases yeah and so i specifically listened to fearless again and i listened to red again and this, I don't think this was in the original albums necessarily, because her voice is mostly the same. Like, it's, it's, I think it's better. She has better vocal control, obviously. It's been, like, 10 years, especially in, like, Fearless, because, like, she's grown up a little bit. Her voice is a little bit stronger. For sure. But you can definitely feel those albums are getting kind of evermore or folklore a little bit in their sort of inflections and stuff like that. Because Folklore, I think, is my favorite album by her, because I love that album. I think it's awesome. But, like, the, the sort of reference in voice to, like, Bon Iver, The National, and these sort of folky bands that are really popular. Again, with like Lumineers, Mumford & Sons, Hozier, like you can totally feel that sort of shift, even in her old songs, which is just really, really cool. Really, really interesting. Yeah, especially with Rhett, you can at least hear in like d- debut, Fearless, mm-hmm. a little bit of Speak Now, and you can hear the shift once you get past Speak Now. But mm-hmm. it's like this more like piercing voice and you can kind of hear it in red too like when it was mm-hmm. recorded with universal mm-hmm. and then her re-recording has this like more fuller and like yeah. thicker voice which kind of sparks that folkiness to it and obviously like the lumineers mumford and sons and they all have this like now they're men so they have a different right. kind of like fuller voice but i get what you mean it's just so interesting to hear her voice change over the years mm-hmm. And, like, you can hear it even in, like, specific songs that she re-recorded, especially for Red. Because I feel like that was definitely a more calculated release, for sure. Because, like, Fearless is like, okay, I want to re-release this because, like, Universal. But, like, I I think with Red, there was a bit more behind that. Like, the whole all-too-well thing needed to happen at that point. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That was, people wanted that, and people got it, you know? But, like, you listen to songs like, um, like, again, like, all-too-well transitioned really, really well. I think that's the best version. I think the 10-minute version is the best version. I'd rather listen to that than the original, like, Mm -hmm. by far. Because I think it just adds so much necessary context to something like that. And it was already, like, a storytelling track. It already would have fit on something like Folklore Evermore with a little bit of tweaking, you know? Of course. But you listen to, like, I Knew You Were Trouble. Like, I think that's sort of, like, a great example of, like, aging in a song. Because that is a dubstep song. And that genre just, I don't know if that genre's aged very well. I think the song works still, but like you can tell it's been changed to sort of account for that. And I don't think it would work on something like Folklore Evermore. It wouldn't make any sense. So it is interesting to see her re-recording that kind of stuff and seeing how she's able to try to encompass it with the rest of her work a little bit. But I think overall it's gone over really, really well. I mean, Red ended up breaking so many records. She has the longest charting song like, the longest, like, in-length charting song ever. I think, also, she hit, like, one billion listens in, mm-hmm. like, a record-breaking time. I yeah. say it was, like, three days or something like that. Because it was, it was something ridiculous. Like, since, like, Adele, it was, like, Folklore was the biggest release, basically, of all time. And then Evermore broke it. 
and then Red's re-release, which isn't even a new album, broke it. Yeah. So she's kind of unmatched in the music industry. And even again, like Adele came back and it didn't even get close. Yeah. Well, I think another thing that really helps Red and mm-hmm. its success right now, at least the re-recorded one, is she has all these songs from the vault. And she added new production to mm-hmm. some of her other songs. So Come Back, Be Here, I think it's my favorite song on the album, mm-hmm. on Red personally. I think that one has a little bit more of like a different production from Red when she released it in... Yeah, like 2012. Whatever it was, yeah. yeah. I think it's 2012, yeah. Yeah. There's another song that has more of like a poppy focus than like a folky one. Message in a Bottle. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. It, 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 it kind of feels like a that Disney one, that song to me. Mixed responses, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely the most dated song from the vault, like easily. Oh, yeah. Um, it definitely feels like it could have come out in 2012. Yeah. Absolutely. It gives me Disney Channel vibes for sure. <laughs> yeah, that one and Starlight kind of gives me Disney Channel yeah, vibes. But like in the same breath, like she came out with like nothing new with Phoebe Bridgers, which is gorgeous. Oh, for sure. And it's also, I think that's the longest feature she's ever done by far. on In like any of her songs, really. Like usually her songs are very Taylor focused. Like mm-hmm. even when she does a feature, it's either me <laughs> or it's like um everything has changed or it's like maybe the bony vera feature on mm-hmm. i think it's exile right mm, um, yes which is like that's a great feature but like that was very rare for her you right know, to have something like that up front but like phoebe bridgers gets two full choruses and verses and takes over the song honestly and it yeah. works really really well so it's kind of like a first for her I think that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because the song with Chris Stapleton, mm. it's not Better Man. Oh, it's Bet You Think About Me. Yeah. You see that featuring Chris Stapleton and I just barely hear him at all. He's like mm. very backup. Yeah. Just kind of interesting. So I guess she kind of fell back into that Taylor focus to feature yeah. even still. I think it makes sense too just yeah. because she's like a songwriter at heart. Like more than anything, she wants to be a songwriter. Because I like 1989 a lot. Mm-hmm. And even though that is a pop album, and I think it's her poppiest album, maybe Lover if you look at some songs. Yeah. Like Cruel Summer and stuff like that. I think in general, she is still focusing on the songwriting. Like, I think Wildest Dreams, even if it's a pop song, is a very beautifully written pop song. Mm -hmm. And it's still not, like, focused on just, like, repeating the same thing over and over and over. Like, there's still very clear, like, like interesting bridges and interesting ways to write stuff, which I think is sort of her strong suit in general, and she knows that. Yeah. Um, So I think she still does it very, very well, regardless of what genres she's going for. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Speaking of bridges, the 10 yeah. minute all too well bridge yeah. is insane. It is phenomenal. It's so good. I, I, cause I hadn't listened to all too well in a long time. Cause I, I really didn't listen to red much since like, I guess like middle of high school maybe. Right. Cause I think that was when everybody was listening to red anyway. <laughs> um, at least my age, but yeah, like 2014, 2015, that, that was on repeat, especially like I remember in art class, I would listen to that kind of stuff all the time. But yeah, All Too Well always felt like it needed some more context. Mm-hmm. And especially once people knew that there was more context, it was like, gimme, you know? Yeah. And hearing about, because like having all that stuff cleared up about like who it was about, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and all that and the other, and about like the age difference and really hammering home how like terrible it was for her, you know? Mm-hmm. It just made that song so much more impactful. And there's so many great lines in oh the 10-minute version that are just amazing. The punchline one... The um, this glistening as it fell line. Oh my gosh! The fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> I knew that was gonna come that up. That was so good. Um, and and the video. Oh, can we talk about casting for that? Yeah, I know yeah. That's no, not Dylan O'Brien music, and Sadie but, Sink. But I mean, the age difference. Sadie Sink's nineteen. She's my age. Yeah, she's We're nineteen, and Dylan O'Brien's like thirty. Yeah, twenty nine or thirty, which is yeah, the exact which is age exact, yeah. that 
Dylan O'Brien and Taylor Swift were. And in the middle of, well, you can see a couple, like, hints to her other albums. So, like, in the video, he grabs her hand, or she, like, tries to grab his hand, and he drops it, you know, alluding to champagne problems. Yeah. My favorite part, or I guess it's not really my favorite part, because it's not that great of a a part, but it's such, like, an integral scene, is Mm. when they stop the music. And argue. And argue. Oh, God, that that part was so good. (laughs) Like, like it's terrible. Yes. And, like, it's so accurate. I feel like it has to be super accurate, because obviously we don't know. Right. But it, it feels so real and accurate, like... First of all, Dylan O'Brien killed his acting. Sadie Sink killed her acting. Like, oh, they, for they sure. were both excellent. It for made sure. me hate Dylan O'Brien, which I thought was impossible to do. <laughs> but it like like I was like not happy. Yeah. <laughs> at all. And my when I was talking to my roommate about that, she she kind of brought up this idea and it hadn't hit me until she said it. But she said, you know, Dylan O'Brien plays all these like He's always like the class clown, quirky guy, mm. like his yeah. his role in like Teen Wolf yeah. and oh, there's another movie that he's in. He's just got this yeah. like But that, that's what matters. Is bubbly yeah. character. And that in the same way that's the one that Jake Gyllenhaal played. Yeah. Um and now you can see like behind the scenes and now he's playing this whole different character of like the um the like I I know everything and mm-hmm. whatever. Um and so Yeah. It's just such an interesting like dichotomy between those yeah i think she mentioned that if sadie sink would not have said yes she wouldn't have done the video interesting i think that's a quote and that's really really interesting because i think sadie sink was pretty much the perfect casting choice and oh for sure i loved how because everybody knows sadie sink has red hair like it's it's a little bit different because taylor's usually been blonde mm-hmm. and i loved how she dyed her hair for the video oh to be red i was like that's perfect that makes perfect sense it was oh, awesome. so good. It's kind of funny because I feel like All Too Well mm-hmm. could be spoken poetry. Yeah. And then she writes a book about it at the end of the yeah. video. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's like a Shel Silverstein kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Probably not. But her writing the book at the end of the video, I think, is just so synonymous to yeah. her. I mean, obviously, this is like the longest recorded song. Yeah. So people could call it like a book or a novel of, of like yeah. music. And so I, I think that's just such an interesting parallel. At least poetry. Oh, for sure. Because, like, I read something about how, like, she would initially perform that song because it was not long after that relationship that she recorded all too well. She was, Mm -hmm. what, like, maybe 22? Yeah. For Red? Yeah, 22. Well, yeah, she was. Yeah, 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 for sure. So she was my age. And she had just, like, a year or two before gotten out of that crazy relationship Mm -hmm. with Jake Gyllenhaal. And she was performing that song. I remember, like, apparently she would, like, break down and, like, not, not have a good time singing that song at all, which is, like, completely fair. Yeah. But now, like, I saw the, uh, there's a great SNL performance she did for All Too Well 10 Minutes. since. And first of all, they let her record a 10-minute SNL performance, which is already it's... on live TV. That's insane. Yeah. But it was just so interesting to see her, like, enjoy singing that song. Mm-hmm. Because I think at this point, like, with time and, you know, everybody kind of knowing the story and her having moved past a lot of that. And obviously she's in a happy relationship now Yeah. with Joe Alwyn. I think it's really interesting to see her really enjoy that performance. And I think get a lot more out of her fans really appreciating that kind of stuff mm-hmm. rather than, you know, not having a good time actually singing the song. So I think, I think yeah. overall it's been a really excellent sort of experience that song specifically. Cause like I like Red's re-release, but I think that was definitely the experience from that. Like that's why she wanted to do it. Cause right. I remember in the post she was like, I'm doing this, but also, <laughs> in case you were wondering. 
But yeah. yeah, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I think it might be easier for her to sing it too, just because there's so like the five minute all too well from the original Red, which I think it's interesting that she added a five minute all too well and yeah, then like, a ten minute all too well. That and the production is different in both of it them. It is. It is. Because you can you can tell which one it is immediately. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's got much like slower intro, mm-hmm. and then there's also a bunch of different harmonies. Yeah, um, I noticed that too. Like yeah. these really powerful like soprano harmonies they're gorgeous they're gorgeous and i think it just really goes to show like the heavy emotion that came from that relationship yeah those those harmonies and i think it's it's also easier for her to sing it just because there's no more missing pieces to the story right Um, makes sense like she's not holding anything back from the story and and right obviously we know who it is right so i I think that helps a lot too and just moving past it as well i think it's really really important it's gorgeous yeah what do you think of just kind of broadening the scope to like her discography in general how do you feel about her bridges and i know we talked about olivia rodrigo in comparison because i think part of what made her so famous so quickly was in addition to just sort of being in my opinion like the next taylor swift in terms of songwriting ability Mm -hmm. and what she talks about i mean there's definitely some similarities to be drawn and she's definitely influenced i know we've i know she's talked about it yeah but how do you feel about that sort of emphasis on bridges because I know a lot of songwriters tend to just ignore that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. focus on verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. But, like, I think Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo have made it, like, their MO, like, their mission to make the yeah. best part of the song, The Bridge, mm-hmm. every single time. I think to, like, Wildest Dreams, I think that's the best part of that song by far. It's the mm-hmm. reason it blew up on TikTok. I think listening to Driver's License, that was what made that song really hit for a lot of people. I remember when I first watched that video, that was when I was like, oh, she's like going places. Oh, for sure. And I was like, why does this have like a bajillion views? And I'm like, oh. That will be why. <laughs> now I know why. <laughs> now I know why Deja Vu is also popping off and oh, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So. Just like, what do you think in general about that? About the whole bridges and just their songwriting? Yes. So... For Olivia Rodrigo, at least, I know she is influenced a lot by Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. I, feel like has... I feel like a lot of people are. Well, right? yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what I also think is very interesting about Olivia Rodrigo's writing is pretty sure her mom is like a, some sort of like therapist or something mm-hmm. like that. And so it's so I think she just has this really innate ability to convey her words well, because like. I I think her mom is a therapist and they talk about um, like emotions and uh, life experiences and whatever. My, my favorite song in the, on the sour album. And Mm -hmm. I think my, the bridge of this song is just Mm -hmm. my favorite. It's favorite crime. Yeah. If you've heard it, it's a, such an interesting like theme for a song Mm -hmm. and also for a breakup. Like it's basically Mm -hmm. a song talking about like, these are all the things that I did that I, you know, I said mm. I wasn't going to do and, like, look where we are now because, you know, I did it all for you and we're not together yeah. anymore. But she's got this really powerful bridge because it, it starts out very, like, alto and then mm-hmm. she just, like, very powerfully moves up into this gorgeous soprano. Mm-hmm. Um, like on an entire register, yeah. Yeah, and it's got all these different harmonies and then it kind of leads into the chorus it's just it's just gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. so powerful. And I think the bridges especially kind of tie the songs together. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like it gives like closure. Yeah. That in background is. maybe is a little I don't know, maybe yeah. maybe maybe not. I get what you mean. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah. 
But like, no, I, I get totally what you mean. I remember I remember watching the videos because I think the videos are really important. Oh, yeah. For those songs for, for sure. sure. Especially when Sour came out. Because I remember she said, this is really interesting too. She said she was initially going to do an EP. So she put out Driver's License for an EP. And then mm-hmm. she was like, oh, wait, this is like song of the year. I need to like put out an album because yeah. I need to capitalize on this. Yeah. And that's when she started making the videos for like Deja Vu and for Good For You. And then... Deja Vu did really, really well, and then Good For You came out, and then it was like, oh, she's, like, staying, because that was a second, like, global hit, you yeah. know? So it was really interesting to see that, but what I thought was really, really interesting about her was, because she she is already somewhat famous. Yeah. Because she had, like, a very public relationship with somebody that she was with, gosh, what's Joshua name? Bassett. Joshua Bassett yeah. on High School Musical, the musical, the, musical, the, ser- the series. The series, yeah. <laughs> And so she was already a public figure. She was on Disney Channel before then. Yeah. I think it's like Bizarre Bark or something yep. like that. Oh, yep. I was too old for that. Um, <laughs> but um, like she was already like a public figure in some instances. So it's not like she didn't have any money or didn't have any ability to mm-hmm. do the production. But that obviously doesn't have a lot of bearing on somebody getting famous. Especially in the context that she is. Yeah. Because yeah. I think at the end of the day, what made that song blow up was her songwriting and mm-hmm. her like ability to work with what she had to make it really really good because mm-hmm. you I mean a lot of Disney stars don't blow up I mean they're they're yeah. they're famous with their fan bases but that's pretty much it mm-hmm. but it was interesting to see somebody so young but so talented like immediately break into the music scene because she just had such a good premise yeah and kind of a same sense Yes, all her music is pop, but she mm-hmm. she does have like she, she shifts a she, lot. Yeah, like she has a lot of Paramore influence. Mm-hmm. Oh lot. yeah, like Good for You is a Paramore like Raya era homage almost. I, Definitely, I think it has a writing credit. I think she gave Haley Williams a writing credit after. Oh, wow. I think it was a lawsuit that was like from their recording companies, like not them themselves, but like their recording companies. Mm. Because there were some similarities just in terms of like melodies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think that really is an indicative of anything. But I think it is interesting because it's like that is a very clear homage to like these different genres. And yeah. it's really, really cool to see her. Because like she's doing pop, but she's also doing a lot of cool genre shifting and a lot of cool like movements in other genres. A lot of really cool vocal techniques. I love the part, like the very best part of Brutal is when she's like, God. It's, it's brutal, brutal out here. here. <laughs> and it's like, not a lot of people would do that, like drop the entire production element and, and just speak. talk in a very like normal way. Yeah. And it's not for like a drop either. It's really more for like a rise. Yeah. Which is really, really cool. That's why Brutal is one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Um, and I also just, I really like Deja Vu. I think that premise is really, really unique and mm-hmm. interesting that she's talking about a relationship where She's already had a relationship with one person and then that person broke up with her and got with someone else and is using all of the same stuff to essentially court them. And it's like, you, we did that shit too. Like we, 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 you've been through the motions. Like, can you not recognize that? I think that's such an interesting angle for that. Yeah. Cause I think, I think other artists have talked from that kind of point of view, but never from that angle of the girl that got broken up with. I think that's a really cool way to view it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I love that song. I think the video is great. And I, I think she's a really, really promising artist. She reminds me of, like, Billie Eilish. Like, she's the next person after Billie Eilish to yeah. really blow up with something different. As, like, a like a young woman that's really bringing something new to the table mm-hmm. that's really breaking open the music industry. And I'm really excited yeah. to see more of that. I, I want to see more people really shift the demographic, but also just shift, like, popular music in general. Yeah. Because I think in the last couple of years we've shifted – from a very rap-focused mid-2010s, which I, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was definitely getting stale after a while. Yeah. 
to the point where we're, we're kind of back, because this kind of circles back to Taylor, we're getting kind of back to a, a guitar-driven popular culture. It's really interesting, because I remember talking about that a year or two ago, like what I thought the 2020s would look like yeah. um, right before COVID. And I was like, I think we're going to get back to live instrumentation. And I think that's kind of coming back yeah. for sure. So it's been really cool. It's been really interesting to see that kind of play out. Um, but yeah, do you have anything specific with any of those artists? I, I think you. there's a really interesting parallel between Olivia Rodrigo and Billie Eilish. Mm-hmm. When when Taylor first started, she, you know, we kind of talked about earlier, she had that yeah. very like piercing voice. Mm-hmm. Especially on Fearless. Yeah. Like You Belong With Me is kind of... Oh, Yeah. For sure. Exactly what you're talking about, yeah. But Olivia has this, it's like such like this mellow, mature voice for 17, 18 years old. It it reminds me of Taylor now more Mm -hmm. than it reminds me of Taylor then, which is really cool. And that, I think, begs the question, what is she going to be like in 10 years? That's a good question, Because I think if if she's already this good, and she is a phenomenal songwriter yeah I agree. like she breaks away from those like you know formulas that all these pop song mm-hmm. or pop singers or song- yeah. songwriters will write yeah i mean she's definitely like made a mold for herself that's different and unique and interesting mm-hmm. and it's it's she's making very good music out of it yeah like pretty much objectively yeah and her her albums all sound different yeah or like there's only one but like all the songs yeah. on the album yeah, yeah. all sound different so you know mm-hmm. there's like variety and I'm so glad that we're breaking away from like all the songs on the album sound the same. Yeah. And so that has just been such an interesting thing to see. And I'm I'm so excited for her future and yeah. what she's gonna produce, especially I mean, since she's so young. Too. I'm excited to see people that are near our age finally break into the music industry, especially in this sort of genre. Like we have like Billy, we have Olivia Rodrigo, and we're getting other people now at this point that are starting to get into their early 20s and really break into the industry. And it's going to be really cool to see how we view them as they turn 30. Yeah. Whereas like Taylor, we knew from the jump, was already an adult when we were kids, Mm -hmm. you know. But it's going to be interesting to view that from the other side. Yeah. To see these people that are, like, younger than us or as old as us, like, where they go. It's going to be really cool and interesting because we're going to get to see it from the start. That's the yeah. difference is that we get to see it from the jump. Like, yeah. I remember I remember Taylor being popular pretty much since I can remember thinking at this point. But basically ever since Fearless, I think people kind of knew about Taylor. So we were we were really young at that point. Yeah. I mean, six, <laughs> seven, eight, right? Yeah, my hairdresser was obsessed with her. And she, like, brought my mom the CD. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. A 16-year-old singing. And I was, like, yeah. eight. <laughs> and then they probably had no idea that, like, 15 years later she'd still be relevant. Su- not only relevant, she is, like, the, the biggest artist. artist. Yeah. Yeah. She is the artist. But yeah, it's been really exciting, and I'm really excited to see where that genre goes from here. Yeah. You want to jump into Lumineers, Mumford & Sons? Hope. Yeah, let's do it. So as a genre, folk rock is still relatively popular in this generation of singers and songwriters and rappers and I guess whatever else kind of label you can designate for an artist, despite being performed with live instrumentation by like a big group. How do you feel that artists like the Lumineers and Mumford and Sons sort of fare in general in the music industry because they're kind of unique versus this sort of prevalent rise in singer-songwriters. Right. As like single artists, if that makes sense. How do you feel feel like they fare? So they have a very specific genre, obviously. Mm -hmm. They also talk about heartbreak, but it's Mm -hmm. in a different sense. Yeah. The Lumineers, their last album is also about heartbreak, but it's about heartbreak of this 
like transgenerational addiction mm-hmm. that you can see in almost every single American family today. Yeah. And it took it took me a really long time to kind of get into the album. And I I think it probably took some other people too a while just because it's such it's kind of a weird album, like the songwriting itself. But it kind of goes through this like three generations, kind of four, because the first song is talking about like the grandmother of mm-hmm. the first or the mother of the first generation. Yeah. And it just there's chapters, there's three different chapters in there, and it just talks about the first one, you know, is um like the grandma and talking about how she was neglected as a child and you know she is addicted and to I believe it's alcohol at mm-hmm. that time. And then you go down to her son. His name is Jimmy Jimmy Sparks. Yeah, because it goes to this whole like the Sparks family. That's like mm-hmm. their thing. And talks about him and his addiction, about his mom, and then or like kind of connecting to his mom. Mm-hmm. And then he has a son, and it talks about and he's not necessarily addicted to anything, but it's like he's always coming back to like to the family because he's the only one who can take care mm-hmm. of the the father who was addicted. And, 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 and I guess more so how he's affected by the other two mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And so similar to Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo, there is a lot of heartbreak in that. That album, sometimes if I'm in the mood, it just makes me ball because it's just mm-hmm. such, it's this gorgeous ballad of addiction and families and mm-hmm. that continual like familial sins. Um, mm-hmm. And it it is gorgeous to hear like such like raw emotion because addiction was something that had like plagued the band like not necessarily the band members but like their family members um Mm -hmm. i think wesley schultz who's the lead singer it's his mom or his wife's mom i'm not sure which one it is but like they were addicted to drugs i believe Mm -hmm. and then Jeremiah Freights, who's the the second lead singer, his brother, who's also best friends with Leslie Sol- Wesley Schultz, had an addiction. And so you just hear all this heartbreak of how it mm-hmm. affects all the generations. It's it's just gorgeous. So you, you would say it's it's somewhat like a concept album in a way where it's mm-hmm. like definitely trying to tell a story or at least mm-hmm. play with the form a little bit at the same yeah. time as just being something genuinely fun is the wrong word with this type of album, but like interesting yeah. and engaging to listen to. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so do you do you think that maybe the reason for their success in this day and age might be that their fan bases maybe necessarily aren't the biggest, but they are fairly big, especially for their genre, but it's like they're very dedicated. Like they're people mm-hmm. that are genuinely intrigued about people's personal lives and, and intrigued to sort yeah. of dig into the deeper meaning of these albums. Yeah. A la Taylor Swift. Yeah. For example. Yeah, definitely their dedication. And secondly, they're authenticity mm-hmm. um, that's a good word for it yeah yeah their second album is the story of a taxi driver mm-hmm. the main singer wesley got in a taxi one time and just started talking with this taxi driver and she mm-hmm. just said i think they they kind of refer to it as like this album of wisdom and especially with like mumford and sons and the lumineers which taylor swift has kind of gotten into mm-hmm. with kind of starting with folklore and going into other yeah. is this like storytelling aspect of it and like you just see all these like the whole album is a story it's a third person Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways i remember um going back to taylor swift for a nanosecond yeah the last great american dynasty is gorgeous pertinent example that one nobody no crime nobody no crime is an insane song yeah (laughs) we were talking about favorite crime as being like this really interesting idea for a song 
Nobody No Crime is is not only the last country song she's made in a long time, because mm-hmm. it is a country song, I feel like, at this point. Yeah. But it's also like a murder song. Yeah, like a murder it, goes, ballad. It, it feels very criminal minds to me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think I think it's yeah. awesome. I think it's such an interesting divergence from what she would usually write about, or yeah. not even what she usually writes about, because that album is very varied. Even in that album, it's a very interesting because mm-hmm. it's who does it feature? Is it the Heim sisters? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's it's really interesting to see how she still works in her genre, but does something so interesting and unique. Yeah. Um, I love that song. I think that song is awesome as well. But yeah, do you think artists like Hozier and other artists that are like folk adjacent or folk artists, mm-hmm. but maybe aren't quite in that niche that Mumford and Sons and Lumineers are, right? maybe Father John Misty, stuff like that, you mm-hmm. know, do you think that they take musical cues from these groups? Do you think that they have something to owe, something to give? For Hozier, I don't think so. He's almost got his own kind of genre separate yeah. from the Lumineers. His is like folk alternative, folk yeah. alt a little bit. Maybe I think they kind of pull from that storytelling, but I think music in general is kind of moving yeah. more towards storytelling. That makes sense. I, I mean, makes I know sense. when I when I think of Hozier, and I think what makes it different is that whereas Lumineers, Mumford and Sons, a lot of that's like third person sort of straight mm-hmm. folk storytelling. Yeah, Hozier really specializes, and I don't know if this is what everybody gets from him, but I I sort of see him as having beautiful turns of phrase. Mm-hmm. The way that he will structure something that's relatively simple, like let's like take me to church. Let's yeah. just use take me to church because yeah. everybody knows that song. The way that he restructures an idea to be specifically him mm-hmm. and to word it in a way that only Hozier could word it, yeah, I think is what makes him so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like if I look at pretty much anything off of Wasteland Baby, wow, that's such a good, album. which is such a good, such album. A good I like album. that album a lot. It's it's really cool to see how he plays with songwriting and does these really unique turns of phrase. I think that's mm-hmm. what I really get out of his music mm-hmm. is just the way that he will talk about a subject. Yeah. I want um, to see him feature on stuff more. I think that'd be cool. I think with a Taylor Swift one. That would be awesome. Would be really I want to cool. see that. I, that <laughs> no, that's just like really an cool. open call. That's that's an open casting. But <laughs> One, I think a very interesting song of Hozier's is Cherry Wine, which mm-hmm. is about domestic abuse. Yeah. That's yeah. a great example. Yeah. Like, I think with things like Mumford and Sons and Lumineers and Hozier, like mm-hmm. it's just a super raw storytelling and mm-hmm. it's it's explicit. Uh, it's mm-hmm. very explicit and I think people really appreciate that honesty and it's not centered around a relationship either. Yeah. And so that also just brings this whole new perspective mm-hmm. of like, oh, uh, you know, here's this story of addiction or domestic abuse mm-hmm. or what have you. And you it's know? always done beautifully. Oh, yeah. Like, it's always gorgeous to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's definitely a sense of, like, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. With his music, which is really, really interesting. And he's got some really interesting production, too. Mm-hmm. Like. For sure. One of my favorite songs is Movement. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard it. It's at the end. He It's like, it's basically a ballad. And then at the mm-hmm. end, he brings in this choir. And they That's just cool. they just sing chords. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. so pretty. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love when choirs are featured in songs, like mm-hmm. just in general. Which I think is a great transition. Because we wanted to talk a little bit about Christian music. We wanted yeah. to talk I, I, I framed it as the timeline, but we can sort of talk about this however we want. Yeah. Um, but just to frame it, 
over the years, secular music has been sort of the primary example of music that has performed, quote unquote, well Mm -hmm. in the cultural milieu. Mm -hmm. But religious music has also developed alongside it. Like, I think that there is a concurrent timeline Mm -hmm. between secular music and religious music because they're not completely distinct from each other. I think there's definitely some influences that go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it has its own series of artists and groups and bands that have fallen in and out of favor and have featured on secular music and secular musicians that have featured on gospel albums, vice Mm -hmm. versa. But what are some prime examples of important artists and groups and bands that have influenced sort of the wider Christian music scene, in your opinion? Yes. What are What are the names to know? Hillsong, obviously. Mm-hmm. They've been around since the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and their music has shifted a lot, which is yeah. really interesting. You can go back to the 90s. A lot of their stuff from the 90s is very gospel-y. Mm-hmm. And, and just in general, Christian music in the 90s and early 2000s, it's a lot more, it sounds like it has a negative connotation, but overtly gospel. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. it, it is very in your face. Like this is the genre that we're going for. Mm-hmm. That has shifted, I think, significantly. Oh, for sure. It's, it's very alternative now. Right yeah. Now. Well, in the 90s, you also had people like Stephen Curtis Chapman. And well, not, the 90s kind of brought this new genre of Christian music, which mm-hmm. was like very rocky which mm-hmm. it, it had already been pretty rocky in the like 70s yeah. and 80s but then you bring in like dc talk who is like yeah this just like revolutionary band and they're like they call themselves jesus freaks and mm-hmm. they also have a song named jesus freaks so. yeah. and it i think the 90s kind of and early 2000s has this like we were talking about earlier this storytelling and they were less worship songs but more mm-hmm. storytelling yeah so like it was like a Lumineer song, but if it was Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's definitely an element that, um, at least since the 90s, because I really think since the 90s is when it gets really, really interesting in how they mm-hmm. shift. Yeah. Because um, a lot of times it was very, very similar going up to that point, because it was usually like, this is Christian music, and this is separate from secular music, mm-hmm. and this is its own thing, mm-hmm. and it's used for worship, yada, yeah. yada, yada. Now you're getting this sort of... It's, it's starting to intersect with genres that are in secular Absolutely. music and doing some really cool stuff with it. Talking about like folk and alternative rock mm-hmm. and rock and gospel, but in a less overt way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's really cool to see where it's deciding to get into the secular music scene. Yes. So something that's kind of interesting that you, you see a lot now, mm-hmm. there is, has become less of a mention of Jesus in a song. So they will really? just use pronouns like he, mm-hmm. I, whatever. And churches sing these all the time, which is fine if they're theologically accurate. But right. you have to understand that I I mean, I could go up to you and sing this mm-hmm. song as like a love song or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like And I'd be I would be none the and, wiser. Yeah, you would have no idea. And you can see that a lot with this new wave of Christian mm-hmm. music, which has kind yeah. of integrated itself into secular music for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, what are your What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a really interesting thing to poke at, like this sort of shift away from overt discussion of God, Jesus Christ, other very mm-hmm. like explicit mentions mm-hmm. of religion, especially Christianity. Yeah. Toward sort of focusing on pronouns. I mean, obviously, it's a lot easier to recognize a religious pronoun mm-hmm. in text. Yeah. Versus in music, right? Right. Um, yes. And it. it You'd have to really read into what somebody is talking about to gather what somebody means by he or him. Yeah. It might be in reference to God. It might just be a pronoun. Right. I don't know. 
I want to know your thoughts on that. Like, do you think that's going to be something that endures in Christian music? Do you think that's something that's going to change how it's written? Do you think there's something behind that? Do you think there's a reason for that? Yes. So I think it will be something that persists for mm-hmm. sure. And the reason I think that is because the song then becomes more relatable mm-hmm. to anyone, not just Christians. So do you think it's less alienating? Yes, kind not of. Not necessarily in a Christian or non-Christian sense, but just less alienating to people it's that might want to listen to something that's more less, general. Oh, more general. Yeah. I think is a good way to put it. That. Take Oceans, for example. Oceans is a whole thing in itself, but people use that song as like this just sad ballad, especially on TikTok. It is a, mm-hmm. it, tr- it trends on TikTok for those like really dramatic <laughs> reenactments of like, P-O-B. yeah. Broken <laughs> um, up at a party. Yeah. yeah. And that whole, that whole song is, I mean, spirit, leave me where my trust is without borders. Mm-hmm. That's the whole bridge. Going back to the bridges, like mm-hmm. Christian music bridges are insane. Yeah. They are essential. Yeah, literally mm-hmm. all of Ocean's Bridge is spirit lead me where my trust is without borders, where I walk upon the waters, mm-hmm. wherever you may call me. And then I think there's another verse. And they literally repeat that for like six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. rid- it's ridiculous. It's yeah. so long. It's almost like a mantra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I know some people who are like, just hate the repetitiveness of mm-hmm. Christian songs nowadays. Yeah, but that, um, that's, that's interesting too, because music in general, at least from what I've noticed, and, and a lot of people enjoy this. I mean, I, I enjoy it to some extent, too, in certain genres. Mm-hmm. But, like, repetitiveness is part of music. Too. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I mean, like, overt repetitiveness. Mm-hmm. Like, something that just continues and continues and continues. You see it a lot in popular music. I think it makes sense that Christian music is starting to adopt that as well. I think that's yeah. part of the secularization, if that's even a term. Yeah. Or, or maybe not even secularization, because it's still very Christian. But the the adoption of secular music ideas. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, Christian music nowadays, like, in this age, is so interesting. It's, Mm -hmm. you have so many, like, different recordings for whatever different mood you're in. You Mm -hmm. You can find acoustic or live or vocals or a piano version of the same song mm-hmm. to fit whatever mood you're in. And it, yeah. I think I think Christian music nowadays and this kind of – this ties into, like, corporate worship mm-hmm. is it's less about the lyrics that you're singing and more about the music yeah. and, like, how the music makes you feel. Yeah. Um, we, we've had a discussion about this yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a sense that the lyrics, at least in comparison to, we'll just use the 90s as the springboard. Mm-hmm. There's definitely less of an emphasis on what is being said. And I think that ties into the pronoun thing as well. Yes. Yeah. And much more of an emphasis on how the music can be used to aid worship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or even if you're not actively worshiping or in a religious setting, just to aid the vibe of the song into something that you'd enjoy. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I believe music is a large part of worship. and mm-hmm. um, But I went to a church and spent over 30 minutes for three songs. There were these super, like, really big up choruses and really big down choruses where the down choruses would just be, like, really heavy. And they would, like, mm-hmm. give you time. <laughs> they would, like, yeah. give you time to, like, just feel the music. Mm-hmm. And then they would go back into the up course and back down and back up mm-hmm. and back down. And you would even find these, like, <laughs> mini sermons mm-hmm. in the middle of these, like, down yeah. courses, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But It's like a recorded sermon guide or something. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what to call it. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's I, we've talked about this, like, it's commercialized, but in a very implicit way. Yeah. 
it's, it's designed to get people to worship. It's it's interesting because mm-hmm. I don't think older religious music was like that. It was no, it is what it is. This is for this. Do yeah. it. Do what thou wilt. You know? Yeah. Now it's like this is a concert. Yes. That you go to that has religious music. It's basically just a concert. Mm-hmm. You pay for it. it there, there's this kind of weird yeah. thing going on there, you know? Yeah. Because th- that was a really interesting conversation we had. Yeah, it's just, it's it's interesting to see that. Yeah. And having, going to like a, like a Hillsong music concert mm-hmm. versus like going to an actual service where they have mm-hmm. like paid musicians and yeah. like millions and millions of dollars in technology with these cameras and these flashy lights and stage traffic like you'd never believe it's you have to draw the question what's the line between worship and what's the line between going to a concert because sometimes that's how it feels it's like i'm at a led zeppelin concert right now (laughs) on a sunday morning you can look at some videos on youtube they're 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 insane yeah they're (laughs) um not to mention there are videos on youtube like these are like sold like this is a very commercial product Mm -hmm. too yeah (laughs) it kind of leaves me speechless in a way yeah i don't know how to even formulate what i'm thinking you know what's interesting is the you you talked about the videos the the church that i went to they were like okay everybody lift your hands and they like they prompted this like okay it's like call and response yes but as soon it was it was so funny as soon as they were like everybody lift your hands you can see like all these cameramen like rushing in from the back (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and i think that's like what gives like this really heavy spirituality to all these christian music videos and christian music too it's like, like you it's can like see the visuals of worshiping waiting to happen yeah it's odd yeah it's very odd because yeah. it's like do those people want to mm-hmm. yeah I, it's I, a hanging question i don't know the answer i, to I don't it. i, feel I like don't they either. do but there's also an element of like you're being coerced is the wrong word because you do want to do it but it's like you're yeah. being guided in this weird way and then once it's being sold to people that's when it's like okay what's going on here yeah you know yeah there's this weird line that's kind of murky i don't know what to call it but you and i both see it it's like what's exactly going on here? yeah you know i used to be a worship leader i mm-hmm. worked in tech in the back um and <laughs> i was at a like we were at our christmas service one time and we were back in the green room and they were like laughing about some Christmas service that some church did. And they literally had a man in, like, a dinosaur suit, like, come down from, like, mm-hmm. the ceiling during mm-hmm. their worship as, like, part of their worship. And yeah. I'm like, oh, that's a really yeah. interesting element to, to your worship. Yeah. <laughs> like, a really that, weird visual yeah. element, for sure. All right. Um, we have about a couple more minutes. Do you yeah. have anything else in particular that you want to bring up? Is there anything else that you want to just add into the conversation we have about five minutes yeah all of these genres are just so different but i think you can see you know from the discussion like how intertwined they all are absolutely, absolutely. um and how they all pull from the same themes mm-hmm. um absolutely for sure like song. i mean uh storytelling and songwriting is becoming a new um form that i think we're gonna see a lot more but like mm-hmm. very like obvious storytelling like yeah in the in the song i mean i mean in the album three by lumineers um mm-hmm. there is a song called jimmy sparks and i had i always loved it and i couldn't really tell why mm-hmm. um but it tells the story of like the the ending line is like it's us or them um mm-hmm. and it's basically telling the story of the the father like you know having the son and driving him around when he was younger and was like mm-hmm. oh you know 
there was a guy on the road and he was like, don't stop to help him. Don't stop to do anything. It's, it's us or them, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then it goes on the story of like the dad at some point is walking on the road and he's all bloodied and, um, it's like super early in the morning and whatever. And the son is actually driving down the road and sees his dad. And it's mm-hmm. unclear if he just you know, doesn't recognize him or, um, completely ignores him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, um, it says, you know, he sped up to remember daddy's advice. It's us or mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah. and like just. It's left to interpretation mm-hmm. a little bit. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be something that's going to really pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, in the next couple of years, this is like very explicit, raw, um, and descriptive storytelling in songs because mm-hmm. I think people are really starting to um, grab onto it, enjoy that. Yeah, mm-hmm. for I sure, agree, hundred percent. Especially yeah. with like folklore and evermore. Oh, I mean, absolutely. She she's a catalyst, right? Like she she will push the genre and other musicians at large mm-hmm. toward a certain sound. Yeah. Um, just because she is basically the biggest artist in the world right now. Yeah. And so you listen to her, you listen to somebody like Ed Sheeran, like both of those kinds of people are doing third person, explicit, narrativized songs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to push the industry in that direction. For yeah. Sure. Definitely. I think that's partially why guitar driven balladry is what's going because it's just yeah. that, that works. You know, that for makes sure. sense. For sure. But yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This Thanks was for awesome. having me. It was a really me. great conversation. I finally had a Taylor Swift episode. I think it was the perfect time. Taylor Swift and Christian music. Taylor Swift, <laughs> Christian music, and uh, Lumineers, which and, was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really appreciate you being on here. Um, Thanks This for is the last me. episode, so I want to thank everybody once again for just listening in general. This has been super awesome. Um, I really appreciate all the feedback I've gotten and everybody that sent me like kind messages about the podcast. And I just really appreciate having so many different guests on. Thank you once again. Um, And yeah, thank you guys so much. And um, I'll see you when I see you. Thank you.